How's everybody doing? Hoping you're having a fantastic Saturday morning. It's 10 a.m. over here. What time is it over there in uh, fake time? 3 p.m. 3 p.m. Which is kind of funny that it's fake time, considering it's like the the um, the perfectly zeroed out time. Yeah, it's the standard time. That's mm-hmm. what I meant. It's kind of weird that you guys uh, made it the standard time, but it didn't even make the the real time the standard time. It's unfortunate. So, yeah. Um, but Lexi this morning decided, uh, I asked her, she happened to walk in while I was, I was reading some Banyans this morning. It was actually pretty great. But Lexi walks in and I'm like, oh, like 15-ish minutes until streaming. So you should get me some coffee. And you want to know what mug she put my coffee in for, for everybody to see? For some reason, she has this She has this mug. It says, good morning, gorgeous. So that's what I'm drinking my coffee out of this morning, thanks to Lexi. Mm. Fantastic. So what happened this week? Um... Were, were, was there anything important we were supposed to base wife? Was there anything important we were supposed to talk about today? Well, we could have talked about the um, the, the revival thing that's going on. We can talk about uh, well, there's there's various things going on. I think some of the some of the um, the the interesting stuff that we can talk about is um, more so like vassal um, development and. What else, what else has gone on? I've kind of I kind of cut myself off from things for a couple of weeks to focus on stuff, so I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure what everybody is. A lot of people are. At least I just saw. Um, oh yeah, Wesley. Uh, I think Eric and I talked about doing it on Thursday evening. So yeah, we'll we'll I. I haven't I haven't watched it, I promise. I promise I won't watch it until I'm on stream, the compilation video. Just so you can get live live Wagner reaction. Okay, we'll answer that in a minute. Um but before before we we begin I want to make sure begins. Before we begins <laughs> it begins. I'm, I'm, no. 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 I'm yeah. Our my my salty money is is pouring in right now. <laughs> uh, 
Yes, well, so we're only going to be live here for another hour and 25 minutes. So make sure you send all of your money to my bank account uh, before, um, before uh, what, 1130. Okay, just, just letting you know. Uh, but joking aside, um, if, if none of you have, uh, it, well, a lot of you have probably seen it, but Ryan Grant, uh, he's the translator. Let's see if I have one of the volumes. I don't think I have one of them right next to me right now. But he translated some volumes of Alphonsus, some of St. Robert Bellarmine. The St. Robert Bellarmine ones were actually very influential in my conversion. He did one of uh, of Franzelin, and then he's reprinted just a bunch of works. Like he uh, did the editing and reprinting of Father Most's uh, uh, what is it? Primer of Ecclesiastical Latin. I can't remember the title of it. But um, yeah, he he runs Mediatrix Press. So if if you go there, um, he has a lot of really good stuff. Um, I think he has a book club where they send you uh, good books every month. A lot of spiritual works too. He he just does a lot of good stuff. But um, but his wife gave birth to their seventh child. I think seventh uh, in October, um, and then. Uh, after the the birth of his child, uh, they found out that uh, she had cancer, and she's been undergoing uh, treatment since then. But uh, he just posted uh, the other day that she has about six months to to live. So, uh, just uh, to exhort everybody, if if you have the means, uh, if you go to his Twitter, uh, I can't remember what his Twitter is. If you just look up Ryan Grant, it should pop up. Uh, or if you just go to my uh, Twitter. Uh, Twitter's not working for me right now. If you just go to my Twitter, uh, you should see it. But uh, yeah, definitely if you can uh, give, do give. Uh, if if not, um, please do uh, pray for him and definitely uh, offer all of your sacrifices uh, during Lent for the intention of her healing and uh, definitely for just, I, I just I just honestly like hearing about it. I just couldn't imagine like if, if I, because my wife, she's, she's going to be, and I meant to also mention this, but she's, uh, I think, uh, giving birth in five weeks, uh, eight, uh, almost eight months, uh, right now. So I couldn't imagine when my next child is born, just finding, uh, finding that out, that would just be the worst possible situation I could think of. But yeah, definitely, um, pray for them. And if you happen to, uh, have means uh definitely uh that would also help so yes i i will be bringing this up uh frequently uh just to keep a reminder because i know it's easy to uh forget things but yeah he he's he's been very instrumental in, in a lot of people's conversions that i know and he has uh he's brought to light a lot of works that people just weren't talking about so he he's he's been he's done really good work uh that's all that i mean to say Okay, so I will I will answer this real quick. So how do you reconcile the fact that the ancient Israelites and writers of the Hebrew Tanakh believed has a body in class theism? This is this is a good question. So what you have to recognize, uh, and this is this is really just the whole point when it comes to divine naming. 
Uh, if you read, for example, the best work on this is obviously St. Thomas's commentary on Dionysius, uh, Dionys Dionysius's Dionysius. I've heard, I've heard it both ways. Dionysius's um, divine names. But the whole point when it comes to divine naming is that uh, there is there is the pure and simple uh, perfection that is God. And then we have a, a certain notion that we abstract a perfection from something uh, which is created. And then uh, we, after cleansing that notion of any imperfection, uh, attribute it to God eminently and informally as in the deity, or if it's something which is uh, has some imperfection mixed into it, we remove uh, the imperfection present in the notion. So that's kind of that's kind of the way in which our naming of God works. And there is a, a approximate foundation uh, in in God for that name being true. So it's not like we're putting forth synonyms, and it's not like we're just uh, kind of putting forth pure equivocations. But uh, now let's now let's look at it from the flip side. So when it comes to God's revelation of himself to men, uh, God it is revealing his own nature uh, in human language. He is going to have to appropriate. Uh, this is this is just a fact um, since our intellects are not proportioned uh, to the infinite perfection of the divine essence. He's going to have to appropriate with his language. So he may describe uh, God, uh, Hassan, Hassan and I were talking about this, but God may describe himself as a nursing mother um, or, or a laboring mother. God may describe himself in, in, in many different ways. Uh, some of them are clearly uh, metaphorical. Others are used in a proper sense. But we have to recognize sort of the, the awkwardness of, of, be, of trying to name God and the, and the carefulness uh, that we need to engage uh, with it in. And therefore, it makes perfect sense that these very proximate notions to them, like describing God as a rock, describing God as having a strong right arm, even describing God as having feathers, uh, these these are these are things that the that the Psalms do. Describing God as having an eye, um, which obviously uh, the second person of the Trinity, according to his humanity, uh, has an eye and an arm and all of those things. But properly, according to the divinity, uh, we can't say that God has those things. But God did say that he has those things. Now, why did he do that? He did it uh, through a certain appropriation of language in order to communicate a truth that's like uh, that created reality in front of us. So a rock, what, what, is, what is the thing that we know about a rock? We know that a rock is stable. So we describe God as a rock. What, what, are, we, what are we saying about God? We're not saying that God uh, is, is, ha has a certain dimension that that's, that's that big has broken off from a bigger rock. That's, that's not what we're saying. You're missing the point uh, with those things. And now just completely uh, uh, build step by step by step um, other names like that and look at, okay, what, is, what perfection is it trying to denote in this created example in order to teach me something that's true about God? Because there's a difference between appropriated language and false language. When I uh, when Augustine gets old enough for, for me to start having uh, very basic conversations with him, and Augustine's my son, if, if you didn't um, realize that. But when he gets old enough to have basic conversations uh, and he asks uh, a certain question, let's say even about something about the faith, like, uh, why do we why do we go to church? Well, uh, because Jesus is is up there at the altar 
and because Jesus is offering a sacrifice there up at the altar. Now, am I going to, uh, am I saying something false there? No, of course not. It's actually something which is quite true. But I'm not telling him every single aspect of the truth because his intellect uh, is not proportioned to receiving that truth. I'm not going to explain to him, well, actually, when it comes to the priesthood, there's a certain participation in, in, in Christ's sacrifice. And actually, when you have the uh, the dual consecration of the of the body and the blood, there's a certain substantial separation that affects the sacrifice. No, 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 I'm not going to explain to him all those things. Of course, I'm not going to. So you have to you have to use appropriated language and it's and it's pedagogical. It's meant it's meant to teach Israel something true about God, even if they're even if their notions aren't completely clear. So that that's sort of the the broad issue behind um, the appropriation of language. And we have Calder here. How's it going, Calder? I'm very tired, but good morning. I woke up an hour ago, so but I'm very happy to be on the stream, Christian. So true. Hassan, do you have anything to say about this? <clears throat> yeah, the question is useful, but I wouldn't say the question is good insofar as um, I would reject the claim of the fact of the writers of the Tanakh believing in God's corporeality, because I think that even they themselves, in the literal sense, were affirming God uh, uh, as described by metaphor and proportionate analogies, right? Mm. So, uh, just to add to what you're saying, not to contradict it, but I think that, like, uh, when you have like the the modern schoolers who want to say that, like, that the the authors of the Old Testament actually believed in the corporeality of God, just because they used the same some of the same imagery and some of the same names as pagans around them who did believe in the corporeality mm. of their gods i think that's like a mistaken error and that it takes yeah. it takes the rules of applying literary form uh, too far um i also think that uh, like if you look at the tanakh itself especially in the prophets you find a lot of very like clear affirmations that anything that seems like what good like that that god looks like is only what he what he what it seems to be or some likeness of it so um for example in um, in ezekiel uh we have uh what chapter is it i can't remember it might be the first chapter uh we have him saying there was something like a throne in appearance like precious stones and seated upon it the like of this likeness of the throne was something that was like a, uh, a likeness of the human form, right? So, or, or the, the human form was a, a likeness of, uh, of the glory of God. Um, and you have this, you have this elsewhere as well. But there's lots of different places in the Old Testament, which are doing this, especially like the one thing that comes to mind is the Psalm, which says that, um, that God is there, whether we ascend up to heaven or we descend into heaven. Um, and so this this uh, like describes um, like a lot of these different things. Um, and even if you look at even if you look at like um, uh, Jewish exegesis, a lot of Jews are going to agree that God is incorporeal, even though there are some who affirm corporeality, um, or, or they just take like the Athari Muslim position that god has a body but we're not allowed to say what kind of body or what it's like or what it looks like or whether or not it's literal matter or whatever they just 
say we're not allowed to affirm anything other than its truth. Uh, but yeah, so so I would I would say that uh, I I would say that like s making these like def this definitive statement that um, that the uh, prophets who authored the Old Testament texts believed in um, believed in divine corporeality. I think that's just false. I'm, my hair's bugging people right now, but yeah, actually, I I think I think we can actually do like the the Jordan Peterson thing right here. It's like, what do you mean by body? What do you mean by is? Because it's honestly, it's true. It's like is is used in multiple different senses. Body is used in multiple different senses. Uh, just uh, th this is something that uh, we talked about some months ago. With did did Tertullian actually have an erroneous belief when it comes to? Uh, his his assertion that God was corporeal, because in a, in a certain sense, uh, depending on what you mean by corporeal, you can speak of God as corporeal, especially when um, you have before theological language is done, and especially especially when you're talking to uh, normal people. Normal people, because I know myself, if if other Thomas saw some of the stuff I would say, and took me in in the proper sense outside of the context of speaking to a general public they would say that something i said was erroneous but really i was just appropriating my language in order that you guys may uh, better understand what i'm talking about mm. okay Royal. let me augustine is standing outside of my room right now and crying <laughs> can you guys hear him yes you can yeah. He, he does yeah. that he does that all the time some some days be, because I have to I have to go out into the living room if I need something um, if I need a cup of coffee or or, a, or water or something and then I play with him for a few minutes and then I go back to continue what I'm doing and then he just follows after me and then goes to the goes to the door and just like hits on it crying uh, now we can open doors, so we have to put a gate up. But it used to just be like <laughs> just hear like a tapping against the door, and then like because he'd hit his head against the door. Um, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> that's really not good. Oh yeah, he uh, he he learned his lesson one day though because we were we were oh I see another super chat or is that the same one? Uh, no, that's the same one. Yeah, um, we were at a re oh no, it is another one. Okay. So we were at a restaurant, and it was one of those tables that are lined with metal. Uh, you know those tables? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Augustine, he got upset about something. Oh, he was he was playing with a ketchup packet, and he exploded mm. the ketchup packet all over his face, <laughs> and, and the and the people around him started laughing at him, and he didn't like it. So he just took his head and he just smashed it against the metal table. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. Right. Yeah. We had to leave quickly after that. <laughs> mm. Okay, so uh, Benjamin uh, Summer argues they believe that God has a body which isn't made of matter. Doesn't this seem more probable than Hellenized conceptions? Well, how can you have a body uh, that isn't material? Like, ha um, because, I mean, I guess there, there's some... So this, this gets us into the questions concerning angels, which I really don't want to get into right now. But there are, on the one hand, um, some scholastics will say that there is like a um, spiritual matter. On the other hand, there are scholastics who would say that there 
isn't uh, spiritual matter and that angels are pure forms and then God obviously is a simple form. But um, if you believe that God has a body that isn't made of matter, uh, what, what sense exactly are you speaking of body uh, in? And then if you're speaking of body in a certain sense uh, of, of a sort of like quantitative dimensions or any uh, – uh, basically what I'm saying is that you're necessarily going to have some sort of composition or you're going to have some sort of uh, limitation, which is going to make it impossible. Uh, so honestly, I, 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 think the, I think the misstep here is, is trusting the ancient Near Eastern scholars to get anything right. Um, ancient Near Eastern scholars are notorious – um, for their uh, liberalism, um, the the and, Hellenization stuff as well. It's a really stupid narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there is there is the presupposition of of Hellenization. Uh, th and the reason this is an issue is because certain concepts are just universal common sense reflex concepts that you don't um, even need to really argue about. And it's it's those things that we base our arguments for the existence of God and, on, and, and the nature of God on, and those are those are precondition. Oh, those are uh, presuppositions. Sorry, the, those are presuppositions uh, that were that were shared by the New Testament authors. Um, like, yeah, I absolutely, Paul believed in substance and accident. Everybody believes in substance and accident. Only philosophers deny. While you know, philosophers don't deny substance and accidents. They only deny substance and accidents when they're uh, doing philosophy. That that's the truth behind the matter. Because everybody knows uh, the sort of base uh, level of Aristotelianism, just sort of general broad Aristotelianism, is just the most obvious thing in the world. And on, only a philosopher would ever deny um, deny that. Um, it, you, you remember when we talked about how. Um... Augustine comments on Tertullian's language about the divine body. Yes. Yes. I yeah, don't, I don't remember useful. too much about it, but. Okay. You want me to quickly give like a brief explanation of that as the, the language that Augustine accepts. Yeah. And with the uh, real quick, with the comment that many of the church fathers were Platonists, that, that doesn't go against um, what I was yeah. saying. And if you read, if you read, for example, uh, Dionysius on the divine names, Dionysius clearly is, um, disagreeing with some of the weirder parts of platonism by by uh sort of uh base level aristotelianism uh that that's sort of i guess uh not properly aristotelianism but it's sort of base level common sense realism i guess is what what i uh mean to say um but yeah they they that that they were about as as platonist as saint thomas aquinas was platonist or saint thomas aquinas was aristotelian a lot of these categories are just um arbitrary uh the only reason that he's called aristotelian is because he happens to comment on aristotle's works and people like to overplay uh, a lot of these uh, sharp categories that we're speaking in but people are basically just working on common sense plus a few greeks that explain these things well but uh continue the, the thing is that uh you even have like people like irenaeus are not going to hold to corporealism for example and he's before this um, switch to like an explicit Platonism. In fact, uh, Irenaeus really didn't like the philosophers other than uh, he, he's, his influences are mostly like um, like empiricists. I, I think I think Ignatius even uses the term um, I think Ignatius might use the term simple. 
uh, from when it comes to God or incorporeal yeah. or something yeah. like that. But but the thing is, like, the New Testament is very explicit about the incorporeality of God. And mm. some people just want to say this is because the New Testament is, is Hellenized. And it's, it's philosophical theology. Yes, and? Yeah, but the, the thing is that the thing is that all it's doing is using the tools of Hellenistic philosophy to exposit the ideas already present in the Old Testament, especially when you look at the Deuterocanon, canon, which obviously pre-exists the, the New Testament canon. This is like straightforwardly incorporealist, really explicitly. But uh, like in, like I said, some of the major the, the major prophets, and um, and in the Psalms, you've you've got like clear incorporealist elements um, and the psalms are actually the place where people claim that a lot of the corporealism is because of talking about the wings of the lord the hand of god the face of god things like this mm. uh, let's let's briefly talk about um uh like augustine's acceptance of a certain qualified sense of tertullian's idea of like divine materiality uh, uh, Augustine says in De Eresibus about um, the Tertullianists. Um, now then, as his writings indicate, Tertullian says that the soul is indeed immortal, but contends that it is a body. And he maintains that this is true not only of the soul, but even God himself. However, they say that this is not the reason why he became a heretic. We might imagine that he calls the divine nature and substance a body in some way, without meaning the kind of body whose various parts can or must be considered larger or smaller, as is true of all bodies properly so-called. However, he did have some opinion of this kind concerning the soul. But as I've said, it could have been possible to imagine that he called God a body because he is not nothingness. He is not emptiness. He is not a quality of body or soul, but is everywhere a complete world, having no spatial divisions, but remaining immutable in his own nature and substance. So what Augustine's talking about, and there are there are Tertullian scholars that talk about this. If we want to talk about this idea of like a non-material body for a second, what this really means is that there are real virtualities in God, that he has real active potences that are really virtually distinct. And yes, are, St. Thomas will say that uh, God exactly. is virtual quantity. Yes, exactly. And and this is the point, like because there are real virtualities in God, this is what is being signified by these different body parts that we're told about analogously in scripture, God's wings, his hands, his, his feet, his face, his eyes, etc. All, all of these things are, are signifying different virtualities that are really identical in God, but are actually uh, distinct in virtue. Um, so this is the sense in which we can speak of like a divine body but uh but we can't we can't say that he is like properly corporeal in the sense of like a composition of parts some larger and some smaller which are mutable by nature and things like this okay so real yeah and for everybody uh who because i know a few people do it but the practice of of repeating your questions i do star older questions and keep them there, there's a you don't see it from obviously your side but on my side if i see a question i like i can star it and it puts it off to the side um so i know to select it so um if i didn't start the point. first time when i go and then and then what i do is i go back through and uh try to get through all of them 
an inter- interesting question was just asked. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I, meant, I meant to. Uh, so if you had to fight either Hassan or Christian mm. era, uh, IRL with baseball bats, which would it be? Well, if I fought Hassan, don't with a don't, don't bat, say don't say anything uh, racist. Ah, uh, I wasn't going to. No, I wasn't going <laughs> okay. to. What I, 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 what I, was, I wasn't sure. Maybe. What I was going to say is, if I did beat up Hassan with a baseball bat, I would be accused of being a racist and therefore ah. get longer in prison. So, for the True. sake of my welfare, I'm going I, I, uh, to say I'm an American, uh, dude. I'm an American. I I have a shotgun right next to my bed. Like I can. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, 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 you will. Yeah, <laughs> dude. If if you want some like double up buckshot through the chest, real quick, mm. uh, you, you can try, dude. I'll say Hassan. Then I'll say I'll beat up Hassan with a baseball bat. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so the real theological questions here this morning. Yeah, it's it's the real ones. Mm. Uh, my, my guns, so true. Yeah, I. Uh, so I meant to uh, I meant to mention this in the beginning, but I didn't remember until now. But uh, I I am. Uh, this is kind of a, an announcement that's a little bit in the future, but I am uh, planning on setting up kind of like educational reading groups. Because I know we we exhort you guys a lot to um, stop being stupid and lazy, and to to start uh, engaging in in proper study. But um, besides besides the courses that that I do, which obviously cost money, um, there and some books. There, there's not really much like live uh, sort of guidance that that I'm able to do. So I, I will be setting uh, up something. A, a sort of like academy of, of, of sorts, basically a Discord uh, a Discord group, but uh, yeah, where where I can do um, sort of live reading discussions um, on certain important uh, beginner texts by by Saint Thomas and other authors, depending on depending on how I'm feeling. So yeah, uh, definitely look look out for that in the future. Um, I know a lot of people have asked me to do something like that because it is important to remember that a lot of the um, sort of miniature uh, Thomistic revivals that have went on have been through things like that. Uh, if you if you look at the the reading groups throughout France that uh, Maritain and Lagrange uh, before their split up did, uh, they they were having uh, college college students and, and grad students interested in like reading John of St. Thomas and stuff. It was kind of crazy, actually. Uh, which which resulted in much of the the good uh, scholastic, uh, scholasticism that we have today. Uh, and then on the other hand, if you have uh, like Austin Woodbury who who did his work just for a bunch of random uh, laymen in in Australia, they would they would literally just show up every night just to hear him just hear him lecture. But yeah, it, it's just like small sort of um, groups like that. I think are are super important, and, and I myself have. Uh, have my study groups that I do with other people in other topics. I just think it'd be helpful to do a sort of general one. So yeah, definitely look out for that. Um, I, I'm, I'm probably going to wait until after my child is born because that'll be happening uh, in like a month. So I don't want to start nice. something and then have to have to stop. But yeah, uh, that is that will be coming up. You should claim him. Uh name him Calder. I, I should. You know, I or at least the middle convinced... name. 
I tried to convince Lexi to name the kid uh, uh, Hassan, but she wasn't. Uh, she was really, really. Oh <laughs> no! I tried Dominic, but she didn't like it. So she didn't like Dot. Right. I think that's grounds for annulment there. How could she not like the name Dominic? Real. Why didn't she like Dominic? Real. That's such a lovely name. Look. She just doesn't like the name Dominic. Or so so true. No, she needs to like. Do is you'd be you like have an okay. icon. You should say, okay, you you got two choices, right? You got two choices. <laughs> I'm gonna call him Dominic, or I'm gonna call him something else. If you don't like Dominic, I'll call him the other name, but I'm not gonna tell you what it is. Right? <laughs> no, no, or, said, or I can say, or I can say Dominic, Dominic, or Basarian. Those are your two choices. Oh. <laughs> uh. So true. Cringe wife moment. Yeah. What do you mean Dominic sounds too white? What's wrong with being too white? Yeah, God is God is uh, truly nameless. So true. I mean, I mean, think about it. Uh, in order, in order to name something truly, properly, and perfectly, what is what is a name? A name is a is a certain uh, enunciation of a concept residing in the intellect. Now, in order to name something perfectly and completely, you would have to have a a complete conceptualization of that thing residing in your intellect. Like I know, I know, I can completely conceive the quiddity of of Hassan right now. And therefore, name Hassan in in a in a perfect manner uh, to represent his quiddity. Uh, but if, if you if you did that with with God, knowing him quiditatively, uh, you 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 would literally have to say that a bunch of uh, most people just have the beatific vision and are just like walking around with complete conceptualizations of the divine essence. So yeah, uh, it. it I, I think I think the we, we kind of need to step away from these weird sort of uh, historical questions. Just think of the truth of the matter. It's just pretty obvious uh, that St. Thomas was right about this. What? Is God immutable in the sense that you can't mute him? I don't know if this is supposed to be a joke. But that's if it is a joke, you should uh, you should repent. Blocked for five minutes. Owned. Yeah. Real. Everyone wants to know where your uh, your blanket okay, is. Okay, look, it's coming up to March now, and it's getting warmer, and I don't want to sleep with a blanket. It's not that hard. <laughs> Come on, guys. I feel like oh oh yeah oh yeah last last thing before we just straight only get into questions, um so so Calder your your background your background's Anglican too right? Well no Hassan's background is an Anglican obviously your background is Anglican uh, right? <laughs> he's not paying attention. No, he's not. Can he even hear us? I think he's frozen. I think his screen is frozen. He's not moving. Oh, his screen is. Fro <laughs> I I thought I thought he was just like very uh, solemnly uh, looking at whatever he's doing. Yeah, he's frozen. Yeah, I'm gonna kick him out until he unfreezes. Oof. Yeah. So I was so never I was never like Anglican, right? Before I became Christian, I was interested in learning about like the 
like English post-Reformation heritage. Uh, and it, I don't know, it got boring really fast. Yeah, yeah, it, it does yeah. get boring really fast. Um, I don't really like, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I don't really like all the these and thous. I don't enjoy it. It's what? No, nah, I don't like it. Feels weird because I never because we never prayed like that, right? When I was growing up, we didn't have any of that. Um, we had we we had Arabic prayers, and then we had the English translated next to it to help us think about what we're praying, right? Wait, wait. So, so you didn't have you didn't have traditional English in your Arabic translations? Why? Why would we? I, I know, no, like Qurans I've seen have. There are there are some, yeah, but they're that do they're traditional not... English. Sure, I mean... sometimes, but like. Um, I mean, why? Do, I mean, why not, bro? Because it's because it's on. But first of all, it's not necessary. If it's not part of your patrimony, you're not going to try to do it that way. You know, you're not going to go out of your way to learn another way of speaking English just to get it just to get it translated into that form. And also, the people who were like in the West using English, uh, being English, you know, monolingually, or, or their other language not being Arabic, right? They're not they're, they're not gonna have that experience of don't, using Don't you language. guys recognize the solemnity of traditional English? I understand that there's a solemnity to it, but I think that even in modern English, uh like properly modern English, you can still speak with like a formal and solemn register. Okay, nerd. Of course you can. There's plenty of there's there's plenty okay, of um there's plenty of things translated from from the fathers and from from the medievals that aren't like that and still sound solemn in their language. How, how are you? How are you supposed to know the second person singular, huh? Uh, I think I think that we should actually write you all or you both. <laughs> yeah, that sounds I, I like that sounds like what's up, y'all? <laughs> no, not you all. It doesn't sound like what's up, y'all. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm one of those KJV only types. Yeah, I am. Yeah, but no, the Douay, it, the, the Douay has similar language and it's nice. Uh, but I don't, I prefer, here's the thing like when I, when I, yeah, okay, okay. So, one hand, I have glory to God in the highest, and on the other hand, I have glory be to God on high. Like, come on. Uh, yeah, fair enough. But I don't think that on high is like necessarily unusable in modern english anyway hey glory be to god on high on earth peace goodwill towards men we praise thee we bless thee it, it just it just goes so much better you know like look i okay i i will illustrate for you right now i haven't been to an ordinary at mass probably in nine months and then i i'm only able to get to an ordinary at mass sparsely and when I was in the ACNA, we usually use the ACNA um, version. I can remember basically the entirety of the Anglican Missal that I might have used a few dozen times. I can't remember like a single line from the Novus Ordo. And I go there every, like multiple times a week. I can barely remember because, you know, it's just not memorable. Yeah, for you. Oh, okay. Mr. Mr. Subjectivism over here. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, you're about to come out with like, well, well, the guys in the seventies, they just liked a uh, hippie language. So it's okay. No, I don't, there isn't, there isn't hippie. I don't know what you mean by hippie language. Yeah. There oh, are, you know, exactly, who, you know exactly what I mean. You know exactly what I mean. No, I talk about yeah. I know what hippie language is, but I don't think it's in the missile in the translation. Uh, the okay. Like it, what? It was, what do you think it was? 
Okay, okay. I'm I'm thinking of I'm thinking of uh I the good example is actually from the liturgy of the hours. And there's plenty of examples of hippie language in there. Like almost all of like the responses. Like almost the responses at the end of uh at the end of Lauds and Evensong, like yeah. Uh, all hippie English. Where? But oh, you mean in, in in the divine office? Yeah, some of the some of the prayers in the divine office suck. The English translation because they because they're not even translations, right? Sometimes sometimes they just change. They they literally just change the 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 prayer entirely for no reason. Yeah, I remember okay. you, you complaining about this um, to me for the uh, the precious and intercessions. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's like yeah. it's so cringe. I wish. Okay, so this is a good question. So, how yeah. can Christ have all the properties that render someone a human person yet not be a human person? Doesn't this make Nestorianism uh, seem more coherent? So, Christ doesn't have all of the the properties that, uh, that render somebody a human person, because uh, you're, you're kind of mistaken on on the question right now. So, when it comes to understanding, uh, I, I wish I had like the, a chart in front of me where I could explain this to you right now. So when it comes to uh, traditional philosophy, uh, at least traditional metaphysics, there's a relationship of two opposed um, things. Let's put it like that. Two opposed things. Uh, one, uh, which is an act, the other in potency that, that limits it. So in the first hand, we have essence, uh, we have existence, and we have essence. So God is ipsum esse uh, per se subsistence. So God is uh, subsisting uh, existence in him in himself. Uh, he he's pure being. He doesn't have uh, his his essence is his existence. So God's existence isn't limited by any sort of essence. But when it comes to us, our our existence is limited uh, by certain uh, essences. Uh, so you have existence and essence come together. And they form, uh, no pun intended, form. And we have the form of a certain thing. So uh, existence and essence come together to, to make the, the human form. And then form and matter come together and form a certain uh, body. So we, we, have, we have these sort of like opposed levels kind of that are, that are upon one another. And with the with one of these opposed levels, kind of like off to the side right here, is the relationship between nature and suppositum. So a, a certain suppositum is a incommunicable individual uh, version of a certain nature. So uh, let's say um the the nature of of man has been individuated in an incommunicable manner in hassan and therefore hassan is a human person so now now taking this to to christ christ has has a individual human nature but his individual human nature is not uh, rendered incommunicable uh, by his his own hypostasis, it's rendered incommunicable in the hypostasis of the second person of the Trinity. So there there's no 
um, sort of exterior being that we can talk about um, when, when it comes to uh, Christ. If, if you want to just, I'm just kind of rendering a lot of this stuff in, in more plain language. But yeah, you're, you're asking about uh, what I, I think Boethius's definition of person is a bit deficient. I think Richard corrects, uh, Richard of St. Victor corrects it. And then, and then St. Thomas uh, holds it and the rest of the scholastics hold it because really what, what ha- something which is essential to, to personhood has to do with that, which renders a, uh, what's said to be a first substance incommunicable and Christ's uh, humanity uh, is not rendered incommunicable uh, by human hypostasis, but by divinity. And this, and this is, uh, this is verified actually when we look at the type of type of language that is used about Christ, uh, because it would be it would be utterly blasphemous to say that uh, they crucified the Lord of Glory, or that uh, He redeemed the Church with His own blood. That God re- uh, actually the verses that God redeemed the Church with His own blood. It would be blasphemous to say that God redeemed the Church with His own blood if God in His hypostasis. Uh, one of his hypostases um, did not uh, have uh, did not have a human nature in which uh, and through which he shed his blood and through which he was crucified. So just just basically uh, on on a base level with the language of scripture, uh, we can absolutely see that um, that the Nestorian account is just utterly uh, ridiculous and would would cause the apostle to be a blasphemer. And it, it's just uh, the Nestorian position, uh, while it's popular, uh, is is really, uh, really foolish. Um, it's it's just stupid. I don't know why anybody would want to uh, think about Christ that way. I mean, it should just be in the heart of all the faithful that God died for them. And the fact that the the, the fact that this is this is actually something that got me uh, with with some of the uh, reformed opposition to certain language in uh, Anglican hymns. Uh, there were there were certain uh, Presbyterians and um, Congregationalist thinkers who were very against the language of God dying that happened in some Anglican hymns. And it's just like, how can you not uh, contemplate that mystery rightly and recognize that it is something that is uh, something that is of the faith? Like you must you must be so darkened in heart and mind in order to deny that. Nestorianism is just uh, idiotic. It's, it's stupid, um, and, and it should just be uh, cast down uh, into the pits of hell from whence it came. I I honestly think that the only people who have ever actually held Nestorian beliefs were Protestants, anyway. Like yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, the the like if you look at Mar Babai the Great, and if you look at like. Uh, the way that the Church of the East interpreted Theodore of Mopsuestia, and if you look at their medieval theologians, they don't hold to what we call Nestorianism. Um, I'm also gonna, I'm also gonna say like, um, you you should probably you should probably think about um, how like uh, the question of origin, because if we the it's usually being uh, said by people who bring this uh, this point that, okay, Christ is a person, Christ is a human being, therefore Christ is a human person. But then the question of origin is not being considered, right? Because this person from its origin is not human. 
right? Uh, and then, uh, so, so you've got, this is like a weird, a weird mistake uh, to make, I think. Okay, still answering some super chats. So I haven't been able to get to the the normal the the peasant questions. Sorry. Um, why do some Eastern Orthodox people uh, deny the justification of grace? Um, do you mean justification by grace? I'm confused about the question. They say it has something to do with original sin and theosis. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confused. I, I have no idea what you're talking about either. I think you should... You're probably talking to people who don't use precise language, and they're probably not people yeah. who actually spend time learning. Yeah, I've, I've found that most of the, the sort of soteriological uh, dialectics that they try to place between the East and the West, uh, when it, it, it's, and then this is especially, as I said, soteriological dialectics. So dialectics when it comes to uh, salvation are just something they heard on the internet. <laughs> it's like it, a lot of these, a lot of these guys aren't really reading uh, their own saints. A lot of this thought comes from 20th century uh, anti uh, Western Orthodox thinkers who lived in the West um, or maybe even earlier uh, schizo um, Orthodox thinkers who just hated the West uh, from the East. Um, it, it it really isn't something that has been uh, thought out well. Like, for example, the the whole uh, thing with my ancestral sin. Like, I believe in original sin. I mean, I don't believe in original sin. I believe in ancestral sin because I don't think guilt can be passed down, destroyed, done. And th that's just that's just stupid because we think we think original sin is a privation of original justice. It's a privation of a gift which is uh, supernatural and preternatural. And uh, secondarily, it, can, it, it, it affects uh, our natural faculties. But we're not saying it's a certain perceived guilt. That, if that was the case, we wouldn't believe in limbo, guys. Why, why would we believe in limbo if we, if we believe that there was a certain passed down guilt? That would uh, that, that that certainly would have infants who die without baptism uh, going uh, in receiving the punishment of the damned. Okay, you can't speak of we, guilt as received in its proper sense. We, we do, yeah, exactly, in its proper sense. We do use the language of inherited guilt, but it's yeah, not, but even uh, even like scripture uses the language of inherited guilt. So sure, exactly, exactly. But then the question is like, what is the proper sense and what's the improper mm -hmm. sense, which is really being predicated of this guilt. Yeah, we're we're not saying that there is a certain uh, judicial reception that would uh, bring about bring about eternal punishment. Um, there there may be right. certain temporal punishments uh, that are brought about, uh, but it, but it's not anything that is going to uh, eternally damn like the way that they think uh, we believe. And and that that's just a, a a small example. Another example has to do with well, actually, we believe in uncreated grace. You guys believe in created grace. Well, if they would have, if they would have sat and thought for, uh, for a second, okay, how, what is the difference between the object and the subject? Well, we believe objectively. Um, I, I guess you could say that that the Holy Spirit Himself is is uncreated grace, just like we talk about the Holy Spirit as being the soul of the church, and the Holy Spirit 
and it's working in the souls of believers, uh, brings about the transformation of soul, the the theosis of of the of the Catholic in its soul, and then that pours forth into the various faculties of the soul in the theological virtues. Now, are they going to say that not only the cause, not only the object, but also the effect in the subject is something which is um, which is uncreated grace, wherein you actually become uncreated. No, of course, that's ridiculous. They're, they're saying, uh, or at least they should be saying, I mean, if they say the opposite, like, you can just laugh at them, because that, that's the dumbest thing I've heard ever. Um, but, but yeah, uh, cer certain things like this, uh, where, where they like to place these dialectical oppositions, where dialectical oppositions ought not to be placed, and where different modes of speaking are perfectly reconcilable. And, and you see uh, something like this, similar happening with the Filioque, I think. Uh, at least before um, some of the developments that happened uh, after the schism. Oh, here's oh, here's a good question. Taking a break from sending super chats so you can get to the peasant questions. Uh, everybody, thank Lord Yamcha. Okay, I hope I hope that was a good enough uh, answer that's satisfied. Okay, here's a uh, here's here's a question that I'd love to answer. What's the difference? Uh, could you explain pure perfections and mixed perfections? Okay, uh, this is fantastic question. So when you when you look at the various things around you, uh, you see that they have certain things which bring about the fulfillment of, uh, of their entity. Now, some of these things are limited by their very concepts, and other of these did not have any sort of formal limitation in their concept, but only in their subject. And that's, that sounds very complicated, but I will, I will just illustrate for you. When I, when I look at this ground black pepper right here, ground black pepper, um, I keep it on my desk just in case I get lunch here and I need black pepper. But uh, yeah, so when it comes to this ground black pepper, I look at it and I consider, OK, well, there has to be a certain perfection in its entity because, you know, it's it, it's something which is existing and anything insofar as it exists as an act and anything insofar as that as it is an act is perfect. So there has to be some sort of perfection to this black pepper can. And I look at it and I consider it and I'm like, OK, well, there's some there's some sort of limitations to the way in which this is a. This is a black pepper can. I'm, I'm, it, it's kind of empty. Uh, I'm sure I could. I'm sure I could think of one that's better. So there's. This has a twofold uh, sort of limitation. Not only in the very concept of black pepper can, is it limited? Uh, because, uh, for example, you can't think of an infinite black pepper can. Uh, that that would be something which is impossible. Uh, therefore, there's something intrinsic to the notion of black pepper cans that make this uh, imperfect. And on the other hand, uh, this is also not the most perfect black pepper can because uh, uh, for for Father's Day, I bought my dad this really nice uh, black pepper grinder that's automatic because he just loves black pepper. Uh, so he gets freshly ground black pepper all the time just by turning it over. I would love that a lot more than the current black pepper can that I have on my desk. That's a much better. So not only according to notion, which was the first way, but also according to mode, which is the second way. Now, uh, what else do I have near me to to explain? Um, is there something beautiful around me? 
Oh, here we go. There's here's a picture of Augustine from when he was a newborn. So I have this picture of Augustine from when he was a newborn. And I can say, wow, this is a beautiful picture because there is a beautiful baby, which is pictured here. Now, um, the concept of beauty. Let's let's think about that for a second. And this is actually uh, going to involve uh, going to be very important for St. Thomas's fourth way. But that's a discussion for a different time. I think about the concept of beauty uh, in this beautiful picture of a beautiful baby in which I'm holding. Is beauty itself limited in its notion? Is there some sort of imperfection we can think of uh, when, it, when it comes to the concept of beauty in itself? Could we think of infinite beauty? Yeah, of course we can think of infinite beauty because there's no imperfection uh, which would limit beauty necessarily. So right now it's it's perfect in the notion. Okay, good. But um, there are there other things here uh, which which do limit the the beauty of Augustine. Unfortunately, uh, this isn't a perfectly beautiful picture of Augustine. Unfortunately, so we can say that this, while it's uh, not limited in notion. Unlike uh, the black pepper can, which is limited in notion, just like the black pepper can, it is limited in its mode. Now, uh, we can think of, okay, this this picture right here has beauty. And uh, it's, it's something which is, uh, in itself, a pure perfection, okay? But uh, when, when we think of the essence of this, of this picture... Um, if I drew all over the picture, I could make it less beautiful, right? Or if I, um, I guess if I kind of did some cleaning up because there's some dust on it or uh, some discoloration on it, I can make it more beautiful. So the beauty of this picture right here is something which is mutable. There, it's it's a mutably, a mutably, a mutably uh, beautiful picture. So since the beauty is changeable, the beauty doesn't come from the nature of the picture itself. That, that's that's a that's a sort of uh, issue that somebody uh, may, may fall into. The beauty doesn't come from the picture itself. Because if it came from the picture itself, if it was something necessary according to its essence, it would be uh, the, the, the essence of the thing would, would contain a pure perfection. And uh, if it contained a pure perfection, it would essentially be beautiful. And if it was essentially beautiful, since beauty is a mere relation of being, it would be essentially being. And therefore, uh, we would fall into the issue of the picture uh, itself being God. So it's something which is not um, beauty per se subsistence. So it's not something which is uh, uh, subsisting according to its according to to being not something which is self subsistent. Rather, uh, when it comes to uh, this picture, it it has beauty uh, ab alio. So ab alio means it has beauties from another, because we've already established that's not from itself. Now that other thing is is that other thing's beauty uh, contained or or um, or from itself. Well, if that other thing's beauty itself is imperfect, imperfect, immutable, mutable in its beauty, then that other thing would need something else to cause and bring about uh, its beauty. And that other thing, uh, since you cannot uh, give what you do not have, that other thing must uh, have beauty. And we, we can work all the way up the chain until we come to the one who not only has beauty, but is beauty. 
So that that's the process of contemplating natural things, going through that process where we can contemplate. Uh, and I was actually just reading Dionysius uh, about this yesterday. We can contemplate natural things in the pure perfection. That is those things which are only limited in mode and not limited in notion. We can contemplate from those created things, uncreated beauty, uncreated goodness, uncreated truth, uncreated intelligence. Whatever things do not have imperfection, their notion, we can contemplate them as formally present and subsistent in God. That's what we can contemplate. But on the other hand, let's go back to my black pepper can. My poor black pepper can. It, it exists in an imperfect mode, but unlike the beauty, it also exists in an imperfect notion. Now, is there perfection to this black pepper can? Of course, there's perfection to this black pepper can. If not, as we said before, something is perfect insofar as it is an act and, uh, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, therefore, this wouldn't exist if there was no perfection uh, to it in any sort of uh, way. Now, uh, again, we can invoke uh, some of the same principles we had just invoked beforehand. But we can't, uh, as as Plato uh, would like to have wished, uh, or as I have a conspiracy theory about it, but it's not really helpful pedagogically, so I will I will just run with it. So as as Plato thought, he he said, okay, well, there's this black pepper can. So uh, going through that same process that I did with beauty, we must be able to have pure and subsistent black pepper cans. There must be a black pepper can up there in the sky, which is the perfect form of black pepper canness. Well, no, because it is a mixed perfection, we don't say that it can exist formally and eminently in its own form and in its, uh, in its own sort of perfect and subsistent way. Rather, on the other hand, what we say is that this is virtually contained in God. So God has whatever perfection that this black pepper can has in a perfect mode in that he is able to communicate that perfection in that he has the power uh, in order to create black pepper cans. So, so uh, that is, that is sort of the difference uh, between the two, but no matter what anything around us in creation is apt for the contemplation of God uh, through a consideration of what perfections uh, exist from it and being able to uh, in, in Augustine, uh, I, I've been reading him a lot, uh, St. Augustine, not my son, Augustine, but, but St. Augustine, when you read him, he had, he had such a good notion of this is that really those things around us in, in the fact that they are uh, sort of dragged down, uh, at, uh, existence is dragged down by being uh, present in essences. Uh, Banya says that uh, existence is imperfected by uh, coming into contact with essences. That form is dragged down with uh, coming into contact with matter uh, and, and so on and so forth. That really the stuff around us that we see is less real than uh than spiritual things and uh less real than than god himself the, the the least real things in front of us are going to be uh evil men it's going to be uh imperfect and uh damaged creation Th those things are less real but we have to be able to contemplate uh since they are uh existent and insofar as they have being uh, they have perfection. We have to contemplate uh, in that sort of uh, unreality of of essences and of matter. We have to we have to contemplate the more profound reality of of God, who is who is who is the most perfect and self self subsisting uh, super substantial reality. 
So uh, yeah, that is that. That's kind of an answer uh, to your question. I hope I hope that was helpful. But yeah, um, kind of recap: uh, pure perfections, perfect in notion, imperfect in mode. We reduce the mode and then make the notion eminent in God. Mixed perfections, imperfect in notion and imperfect in mode. We remove the imperfection of the mode and then we uh, we attribute it as virtually present in God. Whatever perfection is present in the notion. And, uh, and then we're able to, uh, with that, contemplate uh, rightly uh, the perfections of God and creatures. Okay, so I'm trying to... Dang, I am... Best affordable books that compiles the writings of the church fathers. Do you, I'll, I'll put it like this. If you have Jimmy Akins, the fathers know best on the one hand. And on the other hand, you have Augustine's confessions. If you read and memorize every single word of Jimmy Akins, the fathers know best. Versus if you rightly contemplate on an average reading throughout Augustine's Confessions, you will get an infinite amount more out of reading Augustine's Confessions than you ever will get out of a compilation of quotes from the Church Fathers. Now, why is this? Because literary form matters. When the Church Fathers wrote their works, they didn't mean uh, for them to become uh, certain cut-up uh, sentences. And, and uh, previously... It was only out of necessity that our scholars uh, had to take sentences from authoritative texts and present them because they couldn't you – you can't just send out and print uh, in, in 1,100 a million copies of uh, Augustine's De Trinitate and send them around. No, you have to get selective quotes. We're past that now. Um, you, you ought to, rather than reading um, quotes uh, which are out of context and uh, do not uh, – capture the full force of the author's thought it's so much better just to find i don't know a half a dozen works from the church fathers read them slowly read them well and uh and get as uh, get as much as you can out of them and i think that also answers your your question or at least jp's question up here about how we study uh theology books manuals etc you just find something that's good read it slowly read it well read it prayerfully apply it to the entirety of your life and that's that's how uh, you do this stuff well. Um, that's the only way of doing it well. It's not going to be easy. And uh, uh, theology YouTube will will uh, try to make it easy for you, but uh, you weren't made for for easiness. You were made for greatness. You have anything to add, Hassan? No, we've covered this question different variants of it many times so what do we both think of rap um as like a pastime i wouldn't recommend it for various reasons um it's so this has come up in the server before and i don't want to make anybody lose their mind so let me preface morality is not all about avoiding sins okay it's also about 
um, fostering good inclinations and aversions within your soul, right? Certain kinds of music are not necessarily good for your dispositions. Saint, many of the saints have entire books about this. Saint Augustine wrote a whole book where he goes through some of this, uh, De Musica, uh, or however you pronounce that. Uh, the um, the point with things like rap is that um, <laughs> got to be really careful here. Um, certain kinds of music don't really dispose you well for any particular function, and especially if you're not using them for particular functions. Sometimes they can train your mind to work in erratic ways and cause your will to be moved impulsively to different things. Um, and this is really hard to explain, but basically you just need to keep a vigilance over yourself and how you're affected by different things that you listen to. If we're talking about like the lyrical content, it's obviously usually degenerate. That's not even, that's not even really a question. Don't listen to music where people cuss all the time. Just don't do it. Not hard. This is not hard. Don't do that. How, what do you think about a uh, Catholic rap? Uh, I'd rather not. <laughs> Sorry. I, I couldn't help but ask you, dude. There's some, you just gave me like, uh, you just like caused me to relive the trauma of that thing. Oh, you know, the man. Area monks. Remember that? uh <laughs> yeah i think you remember the same thing as uh, me. <laughs> I, I all i all i remember um the the one that's the one that's the worst is the is the rap battle between the no stop 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 it's it, it's disturbing <laughs> to even hear said out loud okay okay i'll, I'll stop stuff thank you yeah that's that's it's just so cringe like i'm not i'm not laughing because objectively it's not funny it's it's really just uh stupid more than anything but it's just so like how 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 did anybody just like sit down and think you know i'm gonna go live stream with a lutheran i'm gonna have a rap battle about whether catholicism is true uh that that's just like how does how does anybody wake up in the morning and think like you know this is a fantastic idea and I'm sorry if either of you, a Lutheran dude or a Catholic dude, happen to watch my channel. I thought that was a terrible idea. Um, I don't mean to be mean, but it's like I, I think there's something uh, really bad about that. Wait, Enoch is Elijah Elijah Yossi's brother. That's kind of cool. That's kind of a Chad way to name your sons, Enoch and Elijah. His not name's not his name. No, Enoch. That's his. Oh wait, maybe his actual name is Enoch. Like, <laughs> hmm, I don't know. Okay, I I'm gonna go back to my highlighted questions now. If your question didn't get answered, cry. So, how much money should we give each month to charity, approximately? Oh, that's a interesting question. Um, 
the the stint. What what are you knowing right now? Uh, you know what I mean. It's it's like when people ask like very specific questions, it it leads to it it it, it, it even answering these questions calls people to like, you know, be like, oh, look at these guys prescribing very specific moral rules to strangers on the internet oh I yeah mean, yeah you know you know i'm it's sure, I'm sure we'll get to it. okay so so for anybody anybody that's going to want to do that uh just everybody in general uh the answer to this is you should go to patreon.com slash militant thomas and give 100 percent of your <laughs> give 100 percent of your paycheck so <laughs> oh my goodness but seriously actually this gives me a good opportunity uh because i forgot to bring this up in the beginning uh if you enjoy uh the content i do i mean this isn't really like most of the content I do, most of the content I do is actual, actually more, more serious uh, stuff that's meant to, you know, uh, kind of be a bit of a pedagogical apostolate. Uh, but, but yeah, if you, if you enjoy that, if you'd like to see more of that and you'd like to support future projects, go to patreon.com slash Milton Thomas. Really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, that's all. So uh, when it, when it comes to this specific question, uh, uh Really, you should be thinking about this more in terms of. I think, it's a, I think it is appropriate to speak of this in terms of like, okay, there, there's a there's a standard that's good, in the in the old covenant, of a tenth of whatever uh, one has. I, I think that I think that's a good uh, sort of standard, and then there's also an increased responsibility uh, in the new covenant to to uh, kind of go up and beyond uh, that but obviously it it, it changes uh, based on uh, certain uh, situations uh, one may if somebody's a multi-billionaire they should be giving a heck of a lot more than 10 percent of what they make to to the church and if somebody is like starving to death uh, the, they probably shouldn't be giving 10 percent of their food uh, to to the church and obviously charity is is different than um you're giving of money to the church and certain times a year it might change like you're giving more during lent uh but yeah they're pre prescribing numbers is very difficult but um 10th is always a good baseline and and you can't go wrong uh with that so any anything else hassan or do you do you not even want to risk answering this question no and and to be honest like you guys should think about um you know think about the kinds of questions that you're asking and what kinds of answers you're asking us to give and who we are and be very careful that you're not asking us to like prescribe stuff specific moral advice for people that isn't like strict commandment or isn't just an explanation of what the counsels that we're taught by scripture and tradition are if you ask for specific stuff you end up with People being like, oh, the sacred tradition of the Scholastic Answers podcast says to pray at least 15 minutes a day or you'll mortally sin, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's just not good, you know. You, you should, the, just, the, just the, think, the YouTube for a few minutes, you know. The magisterium of the have, have you ever heard somebody talk about the magisterium of the bloggers? You ever heard that? Have you heard have you heard of the, the Chadisterium? Have you heard of that? No, no. It's not as cool as it is as it is. It's uh it's uh uh it's when people take things that father ripiger recommends and they treat them like sacred tradition has said that this is about the truth <laughs> that's kind of funny actually it's it's a huge that problem with a lot of people like this that's what i was referencing with the 15 minutes a day thing oh does he say 15 minutes a day 
He recommends it as a ballpark estimate for what people should do once they've sorted their stuff out, right? Once you've sorted yourself out and you're start, you're like on your way properly with the spiritual life, he recommends that like 15 minutes a day is like a reasonable minimum to set for yourself. But then people end up saying that like, oh, then I have to confess not praying or whatever if I don't pray 15 minutes a day. Like, excuse me? Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff like this. Yeah, I, I think we need to be very, very clear. And this is this is actually a lot of uh, problems I see with how certain people interpret St. Augustine, for example, in sexuality, is being able to very clearly distinguish between a sin and, and an imperfection. And I know you're very clear uh, on that is um, is a lot of times when when we when people make these recommendations, they mean to say they don't say this, but they mean to say that uh if you are attached to this certain thing it will it will be a certain impediment to your full growth in the spiritual life aka an imperfection that's not to say that it's something which is positively it might be positively sinful but it's not to say it's something which is positively sinful that you need to go and confess and that you should be conscience bound to follow that's not to say that at all um and uh it, it's it is becomes very important when it comes to uh, sexuality. Um, it's to to frequently have relations with your spouse is not something which is sinful. Obviously, nobody is nobody's ever saying that. But to too frequently uh, engage in the uh, engage in the marital act is an imperfection. It is an imperfection that will um, that will, in a sense, uh, hurt your progress in the spiritual life. Um, because because you're becoming too attached uh, to something material that's not God. Or uh, at least not becoming attached for it for the sake of God alone. And, uh, and it's the same way with some of the comments we've made when it comes to aesthetics. Is there's nothing wrong uh, with, with certain beautiful chant. But becoming too attached that beautiful chant is an imperfection which will hinder your growth in the spiritual life because you'll start to engage in the worship of god not only for the sake of god uh in in contemplating uh that which is presented to you by the church but you're going to become attached for it for the sake of some uh, uh sensible beauty uh some sort of some sort of pleasure in which you get in the thing at, uh in the in the sounds uh themselves so just just be just be very careful when you're listening to spiritual advice from people that you you ask yourself the question okay are they saying sin or are they implying imperfection and uh be very careful to distinguish likewise because it can be very damaging uh, yeah. to yourself if you think uh if you mix the two up uh it can be very damaging. this is a big problem because people don't understand that like councils are optional but not strictly optional because you're christian you're obligated to grow and pursue the growth of perfection which means that you're obligated to attempt to gradually increase the level of adherence to the divine councils right let me give you an, a distinction between command and counsel uh command is whatever pertains to justice right whatever you have to do whatever is necessary for you to do divine charity goes above and beyond mere justice that's the nature of grace is that it's something given that's undeserved right so for example uh christ 
in explaining the Lord's Prayer uh, in the place where it reads, um, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? Uh, what what does that what does that mean? Well, he says that you can't be forgiven unless you unless you forgive, right? But there's 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 like something that has to be understood here, especially from Saint Thomas. There's two kinds of forgiving your enemies, right? There's there's something which is due by by command, which is necessary, which is that if someone wrongs you, you must be in a state of readiness to forgive them uh, as soon as they. Uh, are penitent for what they've done, whether implicitly or explicitly, right? Because, and this follows the example of God, who, um, who of course, elicits the very penitence in hearts and then responds to this penitence, right? We, of course, don't strictly elicit penitence in, in hearts. We can, uh, but we can expose people to stimuli that will help them to come to penitence, right? And then there's special affection, which is loving your enemy as if he was your friend. This is counseled, but it's not necessary by justice, right? So there's something which is called the general love. And then there is special affection. So love your enemies separates partially into command and partially into counsel, right? So the counsels are things which the perfect will do and which those who are striving for perfection, which we are all obligated to do, will gradually grow in, right? So this is something that becomes uh, confusing confusing for a lot of people with lots of things in the Fathers and in the laws of the church, where there are things which are councils, where there's something which is better to do or more, more perfect to do, right? And it's necessary for us to attempt to grow into the mold of the divine councils, but it's strictly necessary for us not to sin, right? Uh, so, so to carry out your obligations that are due by justice, due by command. Um, however, sometimes a council can become mandated. For example, uh, we have to go to church on Sundays, right? For example, we have to uh, we have to engage in penitential practices at some days of the year, at least, right? So, so the church can mandate that certain councils. Uh, certain things of counsel be performed to some minimum degree. These things are not supposed to be like um, legalistic, bare minima that you perform so as not to commit mortal sins. No, they're pedagogical. They teach you what you're supposed to be doing above and beyond the minima that are provided by the church so that when your fasting becomes very easy, you add other things to, to help you grow in temperance. When you're, um, when it becomes very easy for you to pray only a couple of things a day or when you have the opportunity to go to mass more than just on sundays you will desire to go out of your desire for god out of your desire to be conformed to him in perfection uh since christ says be perfect as your father is perfect that doesn't just mean without mortal sin it means going beyond merely not having mortal sin and growing in the good inclinations good dispositions, growing in affections towards God, joy, grief, hope, fear, etc. Um, so, so when moral, when, when moral uh, teachings are found in scripture and tradition, you have to keep in mind that there is a division between what you must do and the things that you must gradually grow into. Um, and, and these, these are, these are very important. 
some people, some people, upon understanding this distinction between command and council, uh, as I said, they're going to end up thinking that council is strictly optional, that that's for special people or something, right? It's not the case. It's not mm -hmm. the case. It's it's necessary for your salvation for you to be pursuing perfection, not for you to be absolutely perfect right now, though, right? So mm -hmm. that's that's uh, this is important to clarify. Tread case for going to the guitar mass. Son, have you ever been to a guitar mass before? Mm, I think so, but it didn't feel like one because they didn't use it in like the weird cringe American way. If they had a guitar, but I can't remember. Weird, weird cringe American way. I see. Well, you know what I mean, like you know, <sighs> Protestant type music. Because, because in in the UK, uh, they sometimes they manage to use instruments you wouldn't expect in quite a sacral way. It's not it's not great, but it's not like absolutely horrendous and like you know unacceptable either. Okay, we have like five minutes, so you guys better. Assad and Christian not spend ten minutes vindicating their answer to a simple moral question challenge. So, so true. It, it's it's foundational though. So you know, no no regrets at all. Zero yeah. none. But yeah, you guys got like four minutes now. So I'm gonna, f or else I'm just gonna find. Okay, so or maybe maybe I'll just try to do it as do these questions as fast as I can. Hmm. Yeah, you could have blitzed them in three minutes. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. Okay. Um, what is your favorite Old Testament minor prophet, Hosea? Um, how direct of a correlation proportion is there between prayer life and one's holiness? Uh, complete. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, it, you cannot, you cannot. Uh, act unless you have received so um does the bible give enough spiritual nourishment such as you don't strictly need to read other spiritual manuals uh yeah. it is not a physical necessity but often it is a moral necessity especially for most of you out there and by that i, I mean it's not necessary in such a sense as it would be impossible uh, physically, that is according to the faculties you've been given to do otherwise. But um, there are certain conditions, uh, impediments, and situations you're in where it would make it very difficult for you to, engage, uh, to achieve the goal. That's why. That's why God has given us so many doctors, uh, and so many, so many teachers, um, to to give us to pass down the faith to us and to explain it. Okay, so how do Protestants get absolved of their mortal sins since they have no confession uh, and they don't really have a concept of perfect contrition? Um, by perfect contrition. Okay, so uh, I assume you, Christian, hold to Thomistic predestination. If so, what do you use for support? It seems the Molinist is more patristic. Well, I'm more patristic considering the apostles held to my position. So that and, fi that and uh, find me one father who held to something Middle between knowledge. free and necessary knowledge uh, plus ratio. Oh, 
He's okay. probably just referring to provision of merit question, the provision of merit question. Yeah, but I mean, it's 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 really relatively uh, unsurprising uh, to me that most people didn't speak precisely or even really discuss or even focus on this question until the Pelagian crisis. That would it, there there is something akin in almost every single uh, theological debate, um, and and even then it's uh, yeah. A lot of people misunderstand uh, how. On my back, my back now. Yep. I think I kind of, okay. People misunderstand a lot how kind of uh, tradition works in relation to the church fathers. So these there are these certain things called monuments of tradition, and monuments of tradition. Uh, it can be a a certain liturgy. It can be a certain. Um, it can even be certain things like paintings. Um, it can be the writings of the church fathers who witnessed to something being passed down uh, by the apostles as an oral tradition, uh, as uh, what's called divine apostolic tradition. That those those are what uh, that that is the way in which the church fathers can be said to communicate revelation, and that they are passing something down from the fathers in their in their in their office as teachers. So in their office as a certain bishop of a certain see or as or as a priest uh, when it comes to some fathers or whatever their position of teaching was, they they form uh, a certain theological uh, authority that is akin to, uh, let's say, the scholastic era or the, the era of the manuals or, or whatever it may be. So what I, what I mean to say by that is that their their witness is something which is doctrinal therefore when it comes to the way in which we engage individual fathers we engage them as individual theologians so yes you can disagree uh with church fathers absolutely you can disagree with with certain church fathers so if there are church fathers and i think there are church fathers who held to predestination uh before the consideration of merit which isn't the same as molinism molinism is a collection of different theses when it comes to grace uh the nature of god uh and um and, and predestination which is kind of uh contained under nature of god but uh, when when it comes to if if a certain church father uh, espouses something I disagree with, I will treat them as let's say if I disagree with a certain sentence by Saint Albertus Magnus, uh, who is a doctor of the church. Um, they they have doctrinal authority as teachers, and are treated in uh, De Locis under actually the magisterium uh, when when it when it. Uh, when it, when it treats the the magisterium uh, in its uh, doctrinal office rather than its uh, ordinary office, so yeah, that I, I think those considerations are very helpful. Is um, really the the argument only works um, if you're if you're talking about uh, let's say uh, predestination before the consideration of merit. If you if you want to somehow argue that that is a divine apostolic tradition. Uh, passed down and, and somehow revealed where the fathers are acting in their role as a pastors down of tradition rather than their role as individual theologians. Although due to uh, the indefectibility of the church, there's a different aspect uh, to this. They can, uh, in, in the fact that they are universally agreed, um, they can render uh, something uh, infallibly certain as true. Uh, and, and if they say that it is something which is uh, something to be believed of faith, 
And not only that, but it is, uh, by the very fact, defined as an article of faith. So that's another way in which they can act. Uh, but I, I don't see any fathers who are. Uh, it, it would it would be basically impossible to hold uh, that either one it was divine apostolic tradition, or two it was something where there was uh, a universal consensus of the fathers uh, that it is something to be held on faith, and therefore um, that Thomas Aquinas, for example, would have been a heretic. Uh, I think that's really a ridiculous notion. Rather, we should view those individual fathers as individual probable witnesses that we can uh, as theologians disagree with so i hope that's helpful okay so confessions <clears throat> trans yes the one by eb pusey is the best one uh at least uh literarily uh because eb pusey he was an anglican um, he actually was one of the friends of saint john henry newman uh before he converted they worked together in what's called the oxford movement um, but yeah, when it, when it comes to E.B. Pusey's translation, he, he translates it in a very, uh, sort of lyrical form of high Elizabethan English. See that, that's something I got you on Hassan is when you read the confessions, you would much rather read E.B. Pusey's translation than anybody else's. Go on, admit it, admit really? it right now. I, I use the CUA press one. Um, send me the Pusey one and I'll see what it's like. It was, I think it was the first translation of the Confessions in English. Is it? Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's that's, he, he translated, you know, the famous section, Great Art Thou, O Lord, and Greatly to be Praised. You know, that's, yeah, that, that's E.B. Pusey's uh, translation of it. Cool. He's, he's fantastic. I'll send it to you. But yeah, we gotta, we gotta get going uh, in, in one second. There, I sent it to you on Discord. Yeah, but hope hopefully uh, something interesting happens uh, this week, so we can do, so we actually have a current events um, section. Not just like, oh, nothing happened. Okay, I guess we'll just take questions. Zwingli nice said. All the fathers and doctors. Yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, I think it's more interesting to uh, discuss whatever's happening. Some of your guys' questions. They're actually, actually, there were a lot. I think they were a lot better this week. Some of you guys have you've been here for months and you still ask questions that show you you still haven't started reading. It's crazy. I'm not Give gonna him time, this. bro. Give them time. Give them time to do what, bro? Rome wasn't built in a day. What? What did you say? Yeah, Rome. Rome wasn't built in a day, but it wasn't built by builders who didn't do anything for entire weeks on end either. Except ask other people how to build. You know? Come on, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying is true. <laughs> uh Mod see modders are just very slow builders they 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 need to go on youtube and watch a few months worth of of live streams about building before they start building unironically if you want to teach yourself to like be able to sit down and do something without being constantly stimulated or like 
passively receive a stimulus like listening to an audiobook or a podcast rather than having to actively like receive it by reading for example go to the park without your phone and sit there for an hour you know just like stop stop constantly having to fiddle with something even if you usually do that at least train yourself to be able to take you know an hour out it, it's you know? actually it's actually scary to see um because like I'm because both of us were we're of such an age where we didn't grow up um, with like iPhones or anything like that. I didn't get my first phone until I was in high school. Uh, mm. So like grow, growing up, we would we would do normal sort of like like we didn't we didn't really. I mean, we played some video games uh, like, yeah, of course, we played some video games, but we would actually like, you know, go outside and play football or just like, you know, walk around the neighborhood. Or whatever and, and stuff like that we we didn't have this sort of constant attachment uh towards technology like yeah we had a tv and we would watch tv and stuff like that but we'd actually you know do stuff but that versus like um like my younger my younger cousins or even like my my younger sister who who did have phones very early on like it is it is nuts how addicted a lot of these people are it's like it's like a heroin addict. Like some of these people, if they, if their like phone stopped working and like all of their technology just suddenly stopped working for like a week, they would have no idea what to do. <laughs> they they would they would go crazy uh, from from boredom for having nothing to do. It's kind of crazy, but yeah, just uh, kind of being able to to learn to remove yourself from technology addiction is really important. And I mean, like, yeah, obviously I was affected uh, by this since I was in high school when I was first exposed to uh, sort of constant usage of uh, entertainment. So, yeah, obviously uh, I had to kind of retrain myself in the ways in which I studied and thought and, and, and such. But I can't imagine how it is for you guys or at least for, especially for the um, for those who are younger who like had ipads but, when they were like see, three it, it can be fixed though because i was i was like this and i just like spent a couple of months remedying it you know and and it was mm -hmm. pretty much you can you, habituations can be broken in like three months seriously it's yeah. it's that it's that easy just break your habituation you have like you have you have four quarters of a year it takes you about a quarter of a year to break a habituation it's not that hard go do it that's true. Shoot your phone. So true. Yeah. Or uh, yeah, it's it's like um, it's kind of funny. My my wife, she had she had a, a phone. Well, kind of like technology a lot earlier than I did because her parents are like a decade younger than mine. So her parents were, were all in on it. My parents are a lot older. So they weren't really, really in on it as much. So so she had she had some problems with that. And, and you know, what was the best remedy. Boy. having having a kid because <laughs> it's like okay now now yeah. i have a baby and, and i can't just like you know be on my phone all the time mm. <laughs> seriously it's that easy just break your addiction so based yeah i mean i think that's uh that's also you know i i will i'll table that for next week uh, we're, since... not, we're not talking about breaking i'm not talking about breaking addictions uh this is nothing to do with addictions. If you've got an addiction, that's a secondary problem. I'm talking about like, uh, like hyperstimulation, right? If you're hyperstimulated, just spend time 
without even having the assurance that you can access stimulation you know don't take your phone with you when you go outside go to the park go for a walk without a device that you use for stimulation because the thing is that even if you don't use it uh from the perspective of like dealing with hyperstimulation just having the assurance that you can you can go on your phone if you want it is is bad like just go go out and don't have any music or anything like that or anything you can fiddle with no notifications just go out and sit down somewhere you don't even necessarily have to take a book with you just just go and sit down maybe you maybe you can take up uh saint dominic's uh one of his nine ways of prayer which is um prayer in via you know which just just walk and just mentally make the sign of the cross and think about it uh, think about your day through the lens of the sign of the cross you know it's not just do something like that it's uh it's uh, or, or just spend an hour praying the the pater yeah you can you can do that too that's uh the rule of saint Leo the great right 100 100 pater nostars oh that actually it, it got uh it got cut down a lot uh by the i was reading i was just reading a book which is the office it's about the office of the paters Mm -hmm. um which there there was the ancient office of the potters which was 24 at matins and i think it's like nine for the little hours is, is just like a lot and then by the time of uh of the rule during the time of the late 19th early 20th century it was 12 uh you would you would uh wake up at matins for four potters and then one for each one of the the other hours and actually um all third order franciscans uh, would do that. And you have, I think there's a quote from Leo the 13th who he would talk about like his favorite, his, his favorite part of his day was the time before his office when he got to pray as paters uh, for, I think he was a Franciscan tertiary. So he did it, but yeah. Mm. Okay. I think that's, that's about all next week is uh Lent is starting on Wednesday. Right? Is Lent one is uh, Ash Wednesday Wednesday? Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, so Ash Wednesday is on Wednesday. So prepare for Hassan to be disheveled. He's he's going full Saint Ignatius this year. Uh, no what cutting hair or beard. I, or... I have not said anything about this. This guy is just like inventing. His <laughs> Hassan's gonna have just like long flowing locks by the end of by the end no, of. No, I'm too. Uh, my head doesn't grow. It just it just like massive fingernails, just like just like Saint Ignatius. He's not gonna yeah. take a shower for forty days, bro. He's gonna be utterly disheveled by the time of the end of Lent. We gotta. Uh, oh, the one thing that is gonna happen is uh, you're going to be making your independent translation of the parts of the um, Madola by Mezard of Saint Thomas. I, yep. yep. Yeah, I will, you better I will actually, actually do it. You okay, but what up, what I'm gonna do actually is uh, since since some people are gonna obviously want to read at different parts of the day, I'm just gonna be a day ahead all the time. I'm just oh, thank you. The, yeah. yeah, that's perfect. Okay, you're not gonna skip any, are you? Uh, skip any for what? Any of the days? Because you have been, you have skipped a couple, right? Yeah, I skipped uh, yesterday and today because I was doing stuff. Okay. I have all the other days. I mean, it's like you're fine. Just read the same one, two days in a row. You're mm -hmm. fine. You're fine. You probably didn't adequately digest it uh, the other day, anyways. 
So yeah, I, I had to read. I had to read some Saint Bonaventure uh, for the reading group on Monday. Hassan, uh, Hassanite fan fiction. So true. What? What did, um, what did you just say? Hassanite. Hassanite. Fan fiction. Yeah. Okay, that's all. Goodbye, everybody, and broadcast. Okay. See you guys.